This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me, please, to Revelation chapter 12, book of Revelation chapter 12. going to be reading from verse 7. John writing here says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto the death. And they overcame him by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and they did not love their lives unto the death. Amen. Now this morning we uh, preached a message on the blood of Jesus, and we ended up saying that the blood provides for us most especially forgiveness from our sins, both past, present, and even into the future. And so all of our sins potentially have been covered past, present, and future. Now we need repentance, and we need confession of sin, but the potential for the forgiveness is there for the rest of our lives until we go into eternity. And tonight, I want to talk about the blood in relation to fortitude in our battles. Fortitude, resolute endurance, that means. It means firmness of mind to encounter or to bear all kinds of troubles and tests and trials. Fortitude. All of us has battles. Nobody is exempt from battles in life, but we need strength for the battle. We need fortitude, and the blood gives us that. Satan is our great enemy. He is our infernal foe. He is a formidable opponent, a master tactician, a brilliant strategist. And while we neither want to magnify him, but neither should we deny or try to ignore him. He's very, very real. Satan, or Lucifer, as he was originally called, uh, the, the word Lucifer means light bearer, light bearer, or shining one. And the Bible tells us he was the anointed cherub. 
And it seemed to be he was the one who covered the very throne of God itself. But he was a created being, not like God who's self-existing, no beginning, no ending. But because he was a created being, that means obviously he had a beginning. And if he had a beginning, then he has an ending, unlike God. Even though he wanted to be like God, in fact, he wanted to put himself above God, but he could not do that because he was simply a created being, marvelous as he was, powerful, the most powerful being that God ever created, but yet certainly a created being with a beginning and with an, enemy, an ending. Satan is not merely an influence, not a, a power or a force or some kind of negative energy. He is a personality. He is a literal, supernatural being. The Bible doesn't give us a complete dossier of him, but it reveals enough for us to expose his nature and his modus operandi, his, his works, how he works, what he does. Now, there are various laws in the Bible to interpret Scripture. And one of them is the law of double reference. And you get a lot of this when it comes to prophetic scriptures, the law of double reference. And that is where the word is spoken to or about an individual, but it goes beyond that individual to what is energizing that individual. A classic example, of course, is whenever Peter said to Jesus, when Jesus was explaining that he was going to have to die, uh, he was going to have to actually be crucified and die, Peter says, not so. No, 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 I, I, don't, I can't believe that. I don't want that. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. You savor us not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Not that he was saying that Peter was Satan, but he was saying that's what was energizing Peter at that particular time. And so that is like a law of double reference. You remember also in the Garden of Eden and, and how that, that serpent came to Adam and Eve. Uh, and that creature was an upright creature at that particular time. And, and a beautiful creature, not a scary thing like what we think about today. And that creature came and the enemy, the devil, used that to speak to Adam and Eve and to deceive them. And then how in Genesis 3.15, how there was that prophetic word given that regarding the serpent and what was behind the serpent, which was Satan, as we know now, of course, how that he, the devil, would bruise the heel of Christ that was to come, but Christ would bruise his head. So there's very obviously a double reference when it comes talking about the serpent. Uh, and we can see this played out in just a couple of scriptures if I read to you in, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah 14, uh, I'll just read from verse three. And the little heading above verse three in my Bible, it may say this in yours, says the fall of the king of Babylon. And it shall come to pass the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased, 
The golden city ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you and the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their, it has raised up from their thrones and all the kings of the nations. And they shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pump is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. And then immediately immediately it goes into this. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet... You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And so it's obvious here, the law of double reference, who, is, who was energizing and behind the great king of Babylon, that cruel and wicked evil king. It was Lucifer, it was Satan. And then in Ezekiel, you don't need to turn to these, but in Ezekiel 28, it talks about the word of the Lord came to me saying again, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus saith the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up. You say I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods and in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man and not God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God. And so that's very obviously speaking about a, a human being the prince of Tyre. Behold, you're wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, because you set your heart as the heart of a God, Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a god? But you shall be a man and not a god in the hand of him who slays you. And you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of the aliens. For I have spoken, says the Lord, God, and then immediately, immediately, a lamentation for the king of Tyre. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus saith the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. The prince of Tyre was not in Eden, the garden of God, but we know who was, and we know who tempted Adam and Eve. So we know who we're talking about here. Every precious stone was your covering. 
the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. In the authorized version, actually says was prepared in you in the day that you were created. Implying that Lucifer in his original form, the one who orchestrated worship around the throne of God, implying that built into this creature were instruments. I say that sounds a bit strange. Well, God can do anything. I mean, if you read the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Revelation, you'll see some strange, strange creatures that were created. And isn't it interesting that there's several, well, let me just read it and I'll come back to it. You were, anointed, you were the anointed cherub who covers, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So we know who we're talking about. Now, we could read on, but we don't necessarily have to. But notice here three things that talks about this creature, Lucifer. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, and the ability to make great music. What are the things in this world that men love and want and desire almost above all things? Beauty, wisdom, and music. What are the things that has been most perverted in this world? Beauty, wisdom, and music. Beauty has been perverted by the evil one. It's sad when you look at some individuals and see how they have scarred and disfigured and mutilated their very faces. Who were little children at one time who were their mother's son or their daddy's daughter. And they grew up feeling they had to deface themselves and turn that beauty into something that's ugly. The evil one would want that to happen. What about wisdom? Is wisdom not perverted today? Is it not used for the most terrible things as well as great things? But does not the enemy pervert wisdom itself to even work against mankind? What about music? Who among us is not influenced by music? What do we want? We want good, godly music, music that will turn our hearts towards worshiping the living God. But the enemy has even perverted that to a very large degree where music is turning into something that worships him sometimes. You know that? terrible tragedy in Paris there just a few months ago with that particular group that was playing. And actually, at the moment they were playing was a song to worship Satan himself. When those gunmen burst in and launched him into eternity. Music has got great power and influence in all of our lives. You cannot watch any program without music in the background. You can't. There's not a movie there's not a sitcom, there's not a program, there's not a documentary, but music 
creates an atmosphere. It draws us in. It causes tension, doesn't it? All kinds of things is done with music. But we see here who we're talking about. And we see who, who is behind and motivating uh, those two characters. Now Lucifer, after his fall, he became Satan, the oppressor, the adversary. And he became the devil, the slanderer. And he became the adversary of God and the accuser and the slanderer of God. How many people, when things go wrong, shake their fist at God and accuse God? How many people blaspheme God? That's the work of the evil one, the slander, the accuser, trying to blame God and accuse God. We see it in here all the time. And so he became the adversary and he became the accuser. Satan has waged three wars. He waged war with God in heaven. The very opening scripture we read tonight, and there was war in heaven. Of all places, can you imagine? War in heaven, of all places. But there was. And we know the devil, Lucifer, Satan, we know that he got cast out. And we know that he drew a third of the angels with him, who sided with him. We can't understand all of this, but we know because the Bible tells us. And there was war momentarily in heaven. He made war with Jesus on earth in his infancy. Not when he was a little baby in a manger, but when he was just under two years old. You remember how Herod, motivated by the evil one, slaughtered all of those little baby boys, infants in Bethlehem in order to slay the Christ child. He was making war against him. And then, of course, the temptations in the wilderness. A war against his mind, a war against his body, a war against his very soul. Full frontal attack. When he was at his weakest, when he was hungry, and he was in the desert place, a few weeks ago, as we, Guy and I traveled through that Jordan Valley and you looked over and you saw the various hills and you thought, I wouldn't like to be out there for 40 days and 40 nights with the wild animals because the Bible says he was with the wild beasts. I wouldn't like to be out there and, and having no food and no water. But Jesus, he was fasting and the enemy came, full frontal attack. And we know, of course, in Gethsemane, what a battle that was in Gethsemane. And then, of course, on the cross. And his trials and his crucifixion. And so the evil one, Satan, the devil, came against Christ. And then he's at war with the church who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Unless you have been living in Mars this past little while, you will know that the church, particularly in countries like the Middle East or North Korea or Indonesia 
or some of the North African Muslim countries and in China and other places is coming under the most ferocious attack, beheadings, torturings, put out of their homes, hounded. Today, right now as we speak, think of the many people who who may not even be born again, but they claim the name of Jesus. They say, I'm Christian. And even just saying, I'm Christian, is enough to get your head taken from your shoulders. So there is war in heaven. There's war against Christ. And there's certainly war against the church right today. His names denote his nature. And John 8, Jesus called him a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Jesus was called the good shepherd and the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. He was called the bread of life, the water of life. But Jesus says he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, he's called the adversary. And he is our adversary, no question about it. In Revelation 12, 11, the accuser, the slanderer. Remember in Job chapters one and two, how he went before God and accused Job? <laughs> said, let me at him. God says, there's none like him on the earth. Will you let me at him? And I'll guarantee he'll curse you to your face. You see, he was the accuser, the slanderer. But Job came out of that. <laughs> he came out of it. In Revelation 9, he's called the destroyer, Apollyon, the destroyer. And boy, he is a destroyer. Look at the nation of Syria tonight. Quarter of a million people slain quarter of a million, four million displaced. Many to different parts of the world, but many even in their own country, they're still there, but they're displaced. They have nowhere to lie their head. Who's that to work off? Well, I think we understand, don't we? Matthew is called the wicked one. In John 10, Jesus called him the thief who comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Paul calls him, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the God of this world. That's a big statement, isn't it? The God of this world. Who deceives the whole world, we read in Revelation 12. That's the influence this creature has got. So we can't underestimate his influence. If it can deceive the whole world, it's mighty powerful, isn't it? We'll come to the blood in a moment. I haven't forgotten about it. Second Thessalonians 2 and 8, he's called the lawless one. Anywhere in the world where there's lawlessness, where it abounds, you can be sure who is behind it, who generates it. Lawlessness. The prince of the power of the air Paul calls him in Ephesians 2, 2. Peter called him a roaring lion, seeking whom he made afar. So we see that he is a formidable foe. 
He's the deceiver of the whole world. The whole world lies in the lap of the evil one, the Bible says. Yet, and it's a big yet. It's an amazing yet. It's a glorious yet. Yet it says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Imagine that. This great roaring lion, this powerful created being who has the ability to deceive the whole world, who's a liar and a thief and a destroyer and a slanderer, a murderer from the beginning, who wrecks havoc all over the earth, and yet you and I can defeat him with the blood of the Lamb, with the blood of Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? They overcame him. That one we've been talking about tonight. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Imagine this. Imagine a great, roaring, angry lion defeated by a bleeding lamb. In Revelation 5, Jesus called the lion of the tribe of Judah. But it says here in Revelation 12 that that roaring lion, the devil, was defeated not by the lion of the tribe of Judah, but by a bleeding lamb. Nothing could look so weak and so ineffective and so inadequate and so powerless and so impotent as a bleeding lamb. And yet there was so much power in the blood of the lamb that it defeated that great roaring lion. Glory to God. A term by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of the lamb. It means on account of, because of, by means of. So victory over Satan was simply not provided by Christ's wonderful life on earth. See, there's people who, who say, well, Jesus was a wonderful man. He was a great example. He was a fine role model. You know, I was watching something on TV there recently. I think it was Channel 65. I think it was that TBN. And there was a little ad. And they did a little vox pop out in the street. I'm sure some of you who watched it have seen it. And, and they stopped people in the street. And they said, do you pray? And they all said, no, no, we never pray. No, I don't pray. No, no, I never prayed. I haven't prayed. I can't even remember ever praying. And then they say, do you believe in God? And they said, no, nah, no, nah, I don't believe in God. No, I'm a confirmed atheist. No, nah, I don't believe in God. And then they say, what about Jesus Christ? If he existed, what do you think about him? And almost all of them said, even if they said, even if they had to say, well, if he existed, but almost all of them said, well, I, I think I would like to talk to Jesus. I, I think I, I think he would be nice to talk to, because the mindset is, you see, Jesus is a great example. They can't deny that. If they even remotely read the Gospels, they see that he was a great example, and he was a great model. But they stop there. But he was more than that. Being an example is not going to save anybody. He had to be a substitute. He had to go to a cross and die. 
That's what saves us. So it wasn't really his life, although he had to live a perfect life, but it was his death that saved us. It was his shed blood that cleansed us. He lived as our example, but he died as our substitute. He lived as our standard, but he died as our sacrifice. It's good to have a standard, but we need a sacrifice. We needed somebody to actually give their lives for us. And there was only one could do that. In Hebrews chapter 2, we're almost through. Hebrews 2, just two verses. 14, 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. You know, there's at one time the devil had the power of death. He held the keys of death and hell, didn't he? But Jesus came and through his sacrifice on the cross, he took the keys of death and hell. He's in charge now. Not the devil. He's in charge. He's got the keys of death and hell. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so here is... Christ coming in power, giving his life, releasing us from that death hold. Death has been defeated for the believer. Dying hasn't, but death has. Unless the Lord comes, all of us will experience the process of dying. In fact, literally, our bodies are dying every day. Literally. That's why we're still waiting for a new body when we get to heaven. So there's that process. But death in the Bible means much more than your physical body dying. It's separation from God. And hell and the lake of fire is eternal separation from God, body, mind, and spirit. But Christ comes and he overcomes death for us. And even if we had to experience the dying process, but the moment we close our eyes in that dying process, it's absent from the body, it's present with the Lord. It's all eternity with our Savior forever and forever. So that's why death is defeated for us. I've said this umpteen times, I'll say it again. I've buried so many people as a pastor over many, many years. And it's wonderful when you know that person has made that commitment to Christ. And you know that you're just simply burying the body. But the spirit and soul has gone to be with the Lord forever. And one day they will get a new body, like onto his glorious body. Glory to God. And so on the cross, Jesus bruised his head. 
All those thousands of years ago in Genesis 3.15, he shall bruise your heel, but you shall bruise his head. And it took thousands of years for that to happen. But that day on the cross, his head was well and truly bruised. The head speaks of authority, headship, authority. And it was truly bruised at that point. He broke sin's power. He overcame the accuser. He defeated the hosts of darkness. And he won that great battle in life for us. There's just so many scriptures that you could read. I'll just read one or two tonight. So many things you could say about this. In Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And He did that through giving His life at Calvary. In Philippians chapter 2, you know it well, but it's worth of just looking at. Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Notice how Paul emphasizes that, even the death of the cross. There was no other form of execution that was as cruel and as brutal and as awful as the death on a cross. The Romans were the administrators of it. But no Roman citizen or subject ever would suffer death on a cross. It was so horrible. It was so awful that they would not subject even their worst criminal who committed the most heinous of crimes. If he was a Roman, he would not go to a cross, but they would put everybody else on the cross. And Paul says he died even the death of the cross. But therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, Satan himself will bow his knee 
and openly confess, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. <laughs> Every demonic spirit will bow the knee and say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Every atheist, every agnostic, every blasphemer, every unbelieving believer, unbelieving unbeliever, I should say, will bow their knee and say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. That's what the blood does. That's why Jesus is in such a position today. Sometimes, certain times of the year, if we're fortunate and the sky is not clouded, you can go out and you can look up and you can see meteors, shooting stars you may call them. And there they are, they flash across the sky like lightning. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. <laughs> He's a defeated foe. And Jesus is the one who defeated him. And what a defeat it was. He has been sentenced. He awaits his execution date. <laughs> but it's gonna happen for sure. And one day, this world will never again experience lawlessness and wickedness and evil because the evil one will be gone forever. What a day that's going to be. Now the Bible says he knows his time short and he comes in great wrath because he knows his time is short. But one day it'll be no more. E.M. Bounds who probably is the greatest writer about prayer that you'll ever read. His whole life was a ministry of prayer. Here's what he said. Satan cannot stand an exposition of the blood of Christ. He turns pale at every view of Calvary. The flowing wounds are the signal of his retreat. A heart besprinkled with the blood is on holy ground and which he, which he not only dares not tread, but he dreads and trembles and cowers in the presence of a blood-besprinkled warrior. A clear ringing word of testimony to the power of that blood he fears more than the attack of a legion of archangels. It is like the charge of an irresistible flannox which bears everything down before it. It is the blood applied and testimony to its application. The martyr witness in life and by the tongue of the power of that blood is more a barrier to Satan than a wall of fire. Very eloquently put, isn't it? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That speaks of a cross. And by the word of their testimony, that speaks of a confession. And they loved not their lives unto death. That speaks of a commitment. And that's what we've got tonight. And we can overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. I'll close with this. Martin Luther, story goes, 
that he went to bed one night, couldn't sleep. He was depressed. He was worried, agitated, having a real bad time. The story goes that the devil appeared in his room with a great big scroll. They unfolded the scroll and said to Luther, Luther, read that. And it was every sin that Luther ever committed. And Luther read it. The devil says, what do you think of that? He says, well, you're absolutely right. I have committed every sin in that scroll. But he says, you left one thing out. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all sin. <laughs> and the devil disappeared because there's no answer to the blood tonight. Sure there's not. And if you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you're saved and born again of God's Spirit, then the blood has cleansed you from your sins. And you can overcome as they overcame. And boy, they were going through in some hard times. But they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. They were fully committed to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the power that's in your blood tonight. We thank you for salvation, for the life-giving blood of Jesus that washed and cleansed us and made us fit for your heaven. We give you thanks for that tonight. And Lord, as we live our lives before you, we constantly need to remind ourselves just how powerful your blood is to us and for us. We thank you that it gives us strength and helps us fight our battles because we know that we're covered and we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. So we give you thanks tonight. We praise you for who you are, for the life that you gave. Yes, for the life that you lived, which was wonderful, but for the life that you gave on the cross. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.